Welcome back to Friends Like Us. Marina Franklin here, your host. This week on Friends, ooh, I have a good show for you. Amanda Seals, comedian, actress, writer, producer, masters in African studies. Amanda Seals doesn't just make you laugh, she makes change. She's best known for her iconic role as Tiffany Dubois of HBO's Insecure, her debut stand-up comedy special, I Be Knowing. As a former co-host on daytime talk show, The Real, host of NBC's Bring the Funny, and the host, writer of the groundbreaking 2020 BET Awards, she speaks truth to change via her wildly popular Instagram, at Amanda Seals. Weekly podcasts, small doses, and book, Small Doses, centering community, building her comedy. She is also the creator, host of the touring variety game show, Smart, Funny, and Black and a smart, funny, and black radio on Kevin Hart's LOL Network on Sirius XM. Amanda Seals has dedicated her life to creating safe spaces with her witty, insightful content, and you can now get more from her at amandaverse.com. And you can see her live, her new tour, Black Outside. And welcome back, Dr. Christina Greer. Dr. Christina Greer is an associate professor of political science at Fordham University, Lincoln Center, Manhattan campus. Her research and teaching focus on American politics, black ethnic politics, campaigns and elections, and public opinion. Professor Greer's book, Black Ethnics, Race, Immigration, and the Pursuit of the American Dream, investigates the increasingly ethnically diverse black populations in the United States from Africa and the Caribbean. Professor Greer is currently working on a manuscript detailing the political contributions of Barbara Jordan, Fannie Lou Hamer, and Stacey Abrams. She is a member of the Board of Tenement Museum in New York City, the Mark Twain House in Hartford, Connecticut, Community Change in Washington, D.C., and serves on the advisory board at Tufts University. She is a frequent political commentator on several media outlets, MSNBC, WNYC, and New York One, and is often quoted in media outlets such as New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and the AP. She is the co-host of the New York-centered podcast, FAC-NYC, is a political analyst at thegrio.com, is a frequent author and narrator for the TED-Ed Educational Series, and also writes a weekly column for the Amsterdam News, one of the oldest black newspapers in the United States. I want to thank all of our listeners of Friends Like Us. Because of you, we make some pretty impressive lists. You can hear us on Google Podcasts Now, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. Review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. Make sure you turn on the auto-download function for Friends Like Us on Apple Podcasts. You can email us at friendslikeuspodcast at gmail. Instagram is friendslikeuspodcast. And Twitter is friendslikeus10. Become more than a friend. Leave us a tip or a donation by going to our Patreon page. Go to Patreon backslash friends like us special shout out to our patreon friends it's because of you we keep going merch is available we have t-shirts hoodies coffee mugs face masks and tank tops they're all available just go to my website marinafranklin.com weekly on my youtube channel i go live with my assistant evelyn frick my wacky friend dave jessica we give updates to the show we shout out fans who leave reviews and we have surprise guest friends from the podcast stopping by Sometimes we offer free stuff like tickets to comedy shows. As a matter of fact, July 19th, I'll be headlining the Fat Black Pussycat. So find out where you can get those free tickets. If you're in New York City, you can see me live performing, headlining for an hour at the Fat Black Pussycat. And with friends like us, it'll help you feel not so alone because more content is on the way. Tell a friend you know to check us out. Stay safe. 
Wash those dirty little hands. Wear a mask still if you want to. Get vaccinated, booster up. Remember, it's your body, your choice, and Black Lives Matter. This is an exciting episode. My God. Uh, the, the, the two most amazing. I was seeing the intro that Bevy Smith gave you, Amanda Seals. I can't, I can't replicate that as a comic. She, I'm sorry. She, she, I mean, she really poured into me. I yes. was like, I got to live up to this. this I is... saw that look you had in your eyes. <laughs> you were like, Ooh. Ooh. thank you. I no, but like, it is Ooh. true. Oh, both of you. Like, that's why I was like, my sister's in town. I was telling Christina and it's making my life hell because I was like, I have work to do. I have a studio. When you stay in a New Yorker's apartment past a week, it's, it's really, it's just, it should be a crime. <laughs> and I told her, I said, you have to go. I have a really important episode today with two phenomenal women who are doing that work that I've been talking about on Friends Like Us. Both of you are brilliant, quadruple threats. I mean, I don't think, Christina, you don't sing. Do you sing? I absolutely do not. I lip sing in church. (laughs) Not lip singing in church. She's like, not even for the Lord. Not even for the Lord. (laughs) The last time I tried to sing in church, people started looking around like something was being slaughtered. And so I was like, you know what? Let me just lip sing so I don't disturb everybody. Like, literally, people were looking around like, what is that noise? And I was like, "Uh uh-oh, that's me. I can't carry a tune. I have no, I I think I might um, have, what is it, tone deaf? Tone deaf? Because when I learned how to play the trumpet, so when I got my PhD, I, like, literally went out and bought a trumpet the next day. Naturally. And just because I was like, hey, I feel like I need to, like, shout to the world, I have a PhD. (laughs) 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 Right. So, like, when I had my teacher, he was like, okay, so we're going to play, you know, the C note. And he's like, hmm. And I was like, hmm. He's like, oh, let's try that again. And so like, he'd play a note, and I'd play a totally different note. He's like, now let's just, you know what? Let's just use the embouchure again. He's like, okay, we did that a few times. He's like, you know what? We're just going to hum. Let's put the trumpet away. Let's just hum. And I could not match what he was doing. So he's like, I'm curious as to what you're hearing and what I'm hearing. <laughs> so that is a long way of saying, no, I can't sing. I am not a triple threat. By well, any means you know, necessary. Can you cook? <laughs> oh yeah, I can. Th- See, Listen, there it is. you all need to come over some oxtails. Ever since I moved to oh. Brooklyn, I've like tapped into these Caribbean roots, girl. <laughs> yes, bless up, bless up. Large oh, up, yes. all Grenada, massive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bahamas over here, okay. Cat Island. <laughs> Let me get some conch fritters, please, <laughs> and some cocoa. Southside of peace. Chicago, that's it. <laughs> Have music! Yes. Yes. I always tell people that story, Amanda, every single time. (laughs) When anyone anyone tries to come for you, I go, listen, let me tell you something about Amanda. Okay, it takes a very rare person to pay attention to what you like. Amanda knew right away. I was sitting on my couch doing nothing one day. (laughs) Nothing. I love house music. Amanda was like, Marina. There's this house music thing going on. You need to be here. Changed my life. <laughs> and I went to that Soul Summit. Then every they yes, I, they haven't Sunday done it in sermon. a while. But you know why they Sunday stopped sermon. doing it? Well, they couldn't do it because of the pandemic. But the whites actually got in the way of Sunday Sermon because the whites moved into Harlem and then started saying that we want our Sundays to be quiet and you all are using your Sundays to be jubilant and playing house music in the park and that is disturbing to us. And so they had to really fight. I don't. I ultimately don't know how it ended because I moved, but Mm -hmm. there was a, yeah, there was like an injunction made from the gentrified whites to shut down a literal, like, 
celebration in the park of black people. And it was, I mean, it's a black, it was a black event, but like anyone could come. I mean, it's anyone. in the park. It's beautiful. You know? and, and it was, it was beautiful. So yes. It was beautiful. It was a perfect use of that space too. I knew that a friendship had to end when I saw this, this person at, the, at that event and I saw her across the way and I was like, you know, she's going to walk over here and she's going to have something negative to say about this immediately. I just, I just know that the first thing she's going to have to... And it's not going to be like a clown. You know what I'm saying? Because we're going to roast anything, right? But yeah. I was like, she's going to have some... I was like, watch. And sure enough, hey, hey girl! And she walked over. She hey girl me and walked over. And the first thing she said was, it's just, you know, I just feel like there's just too many. And I was like, oh, we're done. We're, like there was like... Her argument was like there was too many blankets. <laughs> it was something like... It was just like, you do this every time and this is such a completely positive dope event that the fact that you are finding something we gotta we gotta separate we gotta keep them separated it just goes to a larger theme sometimes of you know when I think about gentrification because I'm in Brooklyn and it's like well because I didn't decide that this is the way it goes then it can't be so you know it's when I when I got my place the guy that I bought it from was just like, you know, and you'll love it because we've got soundproof windows so you don't have to hear the parade. And it's because <laughs> I'm on the route of the parade. And basically, like, because it's too loud and it's, you know, too many Negroes. And he one saw my face. One day a year. One day. One day, one day out of 365. But his that was wife, nice. I have that till now. <laughs> one day. <laughs> one day. Um, but his wife must have seen my face sort of flicker. And she goes, so he says, you know, so you don't have to hear the parade. And she goes, which we love, <laughs> which we love. And I was like, girl, you know you don't. You got soundproof windows. You should have just pulled the Bohemian flag, like just out of nowhere. Right. Just <laughs> jump like, up, jump up. Right. Jump up, jump up. But, then, but, here's, truck. <laughs> but here's the thing. Sometimes I do feel badly because I'm like, ooh, it is a little loud out here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was, that's what I was about to, I was about to ooh, step in and say. terrible. I'm well, that's, that's age. Yes, yes. you know what? Yes. That is that is true. That that's is because people were drumming the other night, and I was like, "Brothers, come on!" <laughs> that it is, is age. eleven o'clock. Listen, <laughs> fifty. I'm starting to say my age because of Bevy. Bevy was like, "It gets well, greater also, later." You, hotter you than gotta hot. start saying your age. Fifty-one. Where? Be Fifty-two this year. But it's, like, where? I turned forty-one you know on July first. My ears, I, like we were just saying, I hear. I look. But that's As, better than losing your hearing. You see what okay, I'm that saying? That is true. Because hey, I can't hear for nothing. The other, <laughs> and my well, sight I is also, going too. My my sight is 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 bad. I was I was saying to Colin Quinn, I can't see anything, and he goes, "What's that?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "That's so perfect." But the good thing is, it's like black women are anywhere. Like I look at you, Marina. I'm like, mm, if someone was like, "How old's Marina?" I'm like, anywhere between like 18 and 98. <laughs> I'm like, that's like the ballpark. I have I no idea. I will never recover from the fact that Sarah Huckabee, when she was the White House <gasps> press correspondent, I will never recover from the fact that she was 35. I'll never recover. I was, listen. Oh, she was an easy 56. Easy. easy. And I'm being polite and generous. Generous. <laughs> yes. I'm being hyper yes. generous. But you know why? We should have known that she was under 40 because she didn't have like a, a bag of wrinkles where I'm just like, oh, Sarah. Like, but I she think had also like a the, sack. that like sad face sack face. A, yeah. Well, I think also it's like hatred and bad energy can also age you. Dorian Gray. It's the portrait of Dorian Gray, like happening so, on your face. 
I'm like, I, Marina, you were literally like 17 years old. Well, like, are you do? Are you exfoliating? I'm carding you for like, this is podcast. There a regimen? I am doing some new <laughs> exfoliation. Carding. I'm starting to take care of my skin now, but it's also genetics. My mom always, I used to, when I was a kid, I would always hear people go, no, you're not that age. What? Mm-hmm. And my mom's sister. So it's, that's genetics. Nice. But the other stuff is all happening. You know, I but do even have. even your neck. Look at your neck. You have a I'm working neck. on the neck. Because the, the neck doesn't lie. No, the neck has. That's some... my best scene. Yambi always says, it's, she's like, girl. There's one line right there. Yeah, but mm. I'm see, I see some turkeys out here. Yeah. Okay. Well, see, the thing is, I need to watch it because I love the sun. <laughs> I'm in that sun with like, my little sun. SPF 4. Like, mm, <laughs> give me all the oil. And I go to my little topless beach and I just do it up. And everyone's like, Chrissy, you are. In your 40s, like, you need to stop with all this, like, Valley Girl nonsense with your (laughs) SPF number four. You need to have one at least a 30. Like, probably a 50. I'm like, "Mm, no, I just like to be chocolate. I mean, I I went to the the beach. And I I don't have... My melanin doesn't show up like y'all's unless the sun, like, it's... The sun is like, oh, she's being called to us again. (laughs) And then I, I, I went to DR for three days and came back a completely different person like I was four shades darker people were literally like did you take something that oh wow that like enhanced your melanin from the inside out it's in there it's in there you just gotta extract it yeah the sun that's for sun people when I tan I look like soul man so my tan sits on top of me (laughs) so it like it comes across where it's just like everyone's like are you in brown face and I'm like no this is just how I tan like it looks like you can just like smudge me (laughs) so like right now I just have a base tan but like when I go when I go in and I come back chocolate it is not chocolate it is brown it's just it's brown it's gold plated (laughs) yes 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 it is gold plated with brown underneath and everyone like literally people like lick their thumb and do like it looks like it should come off I'm like it's not it's just I look like soul man like I'm impersonating oh soul man is such a great reference god that I haven't seen that movie but I have a feeling it's problematic I was gonna say (laughs) I don't think that aged well no No. it it did not Mm. it did not I need to watch that again while we're talking about outside, this is a perfect uh, moment to bring up your tour, which is called Black Outside Again. That's right. Mm. Black Look how outside I did that. I'm again. so impressed by myself. <laughs> Black Outside Again. Why did I you name it Black Outside Again? I want to get a t-shirt again? that says Outside Agains, like the backyard again. Yeah. Because we're black outside again, as opposed to just being back outside, we black outside again. And that's a very different experience, okay? I went to the Juneteenth event at the Hollywood Bowl last night. I saw. And... It was, a, I mean, because when we commune, as we talked about with Sunday Sermon, when we commune, we really do it right. Um, and it just feels very different for me. But most of my work is about creating spaces and, and performing in those spaces and then the people being able to commune with each other in those spaces. So to not be able to do that for two and a half years, um, I genuinely didn't realize how that had affected like me. And so getting to be black outside again with my people and in those spaces, especially within the context of this world that we are in and where this nation is rapidly going, um, is it's beyond just exciting. Like it's inspiring for me and it is grounding. It's grounding. So like even in all these dates, like I want to be able to have um, organizers that will come to each show and, you know, speak into the folks at the end of the show. Like, I want my show, I want my tour to do more than just be funny. Um, 
I want it to be helpful. I want it to be insightful. I want it to be a, a bridge. And I feel like um, I wouldn't have been able to do that as much from home and doing the Zooms and the Instagram Lives as much as like be, being able to be in front of people. I, I always say like the analog exchange is better anytime than the digital. It's so, so beautiful. It was beautiful to see you there. I was trying to convince my sister to watch it too. She was trying to watch uh, mur- the murders in the building. I said, no, no, no. It's Juneteenth. Yeah. We got to feel this. We got to feel this. Really, it was really good. It was. It, and it I was loved really your intro because I'm, I'm, I have a intro anxiety. Like it's, what does that mean? <laughs> as far as giving someone an intro, like even like at the top of my own show, like, or when I used to host at the comedy cellar, my intro suck. Like Sarah Silverman once said that great comedian, horrible at introducing people. <laughs> and your intro of um, I'm, Billy I'm Porter. Freaking, Billy Porter was incredible. It was a perfect. I was looking at all. I was like, that's the perfect intro for Billy Porter. I chose my dress based on I'm introducing Billy Porter. I need to have some type of drama. You better bring it. You better bring it. <laughs> I need to give them some type of energy. More than just, you know, a look. I got to give them a look with a W. It was perfect. Um, well, thank you. And no, my sister was... was looking at me when I was dancing to, to Billy Porter. She was like, is this from your era? <gasps> I was almost, I said, I want you out. Yeah. Well, you, if you're in Utah, you would be able to do that because apparently they're about to pass a lot. Well, it's, it's been presented as a bill in Utah uh, that people will no longer to be able to have roommates. They won't be able to share housing unless they are family. Really? And I saw this happen somewhere else, and I want to say it was either in Kansas or Kentucky or St. Louis, maybe. But it was like more. It was like located to just like a locale. Um, this apparently is the entire state of Utah is apparently looking to pass this. Don't quote me, but it's, but I've now heard it in two different places. And on one hand, I thought of it more as just like greedy, like landlords. But then I thought of it and then I was like, wait, no, that's also some like extremist Christian shit because it's basically a, a roundabout way of saying that you cannot live with someone unless you're married to them. That's right. Utah, I was just there. And I, when I was, I was noticing the land, the land dictates a lot of that behavior. Like, it's very intense, those mountains. And um, I was opening for Hannah Gatsby, actually. And um, oh. she had mentioned that she had, she goes, I was just in Florida. She goes, those people are crazy. I don't think white people should be outside in heat. And I was like, you may be onto something because in Utah, all the Mormons... The land does dictate some type of like spiritual. It's weird. Electromagnetic. You see? That's why black Mm -hmm. outside is different. You see? It's Yes. We are not poisoned by the sun. We are enriched. Enriched. Now, I was watching your interview with the girls from The Real. And I like that it came around full circle. Like it had a positive spin. Like you, you talked about how they didn't showcase you for the finale, but then you talked to the young ladies, um, Adrian and Jeannie. I'm Jeannie's sorry, older than me. And it, <laughs> oh, and it was really a nice conversation. I liked it. it. You also talked about how being in the public light makes social media different. It makes Hell it yeah. more difficult. How? Well, because. In many ways, it invites people to feel like because you have put yourself in this position that they are now 
deserving of the right to address you in any shape, way, or form. And that's not just being on a show like that. That's just like celebrity. Like people have said straight up to me, like, if you decide to be in this art form and it becomes a celebrity situation, then that's your fault for now putting yourself in a position where, yeah, what comes along with, you know what comes along with that position. Shade, you know, praise. Um, but the the real overarching thought process is that if you're making money in this space, then the exchange is that you you can get attacked and harassed however the people see fit because you are serving as a, you're not just a public figure. Like they look at you like you're a public servant and you owe them. And it's like, well, I didn't, um, run for office. Um, <clears throat> and ultimately, like, if if people like what I'm saying, awesome. I think when people don't like what I'm saying, though, they, when you're in a public position, like, they take it like you are trying to, um, like, you're speaking directly to them and want to ruin their lives. And I'm not a policymaker. So it's it's crazy the the actual vitriol that people come at you with when you're in that chair and they really feel empowered and they feel entitled to talking to you however they want to and you are expected to deal with it because if you didn't want to be talked to that way then you should have been a nurse. And Christina, I'm sure you get a lot of this too, right? Oh, listen. I mean, the security at Fordham opens my mail. And my email. So, you know, and the biggest thing that I get, you know, Amanda is in some way a public servant, according to, the, you know, some of these haters, where it's like, you know, it's like, well, you've chosen to be in the public eye. As an educator, I have actually chosen to be in the public eye, not just in the classroom. And that makes a lot of these right wing folks incredibly angry because yeah. I'm influencing the future generation in a different way. Like, and, you know, Marina, I've said this on the, the podcast a thousand times and I'll keep saying it. You know, I think that the role of the comedian in society is as important as the role of the educator. I mean, as far back, I was a classics minor in college, right? There are four occupations, and I'm leaving prostitution out of it, right? There are four occupations that are the oldest in every single society. When you read Plato and Sophocles and Aristophanes and everyone, it's a doctor, a lawyer, an educator, and a comedian. Those are like the four essential occupations in any society. So I mean, from as far back as, as we can think about it. You know, even when you read, you know, Wally Shoyinka or Amata Aidu when they're talking about, you know, sort of the continent of Africa and, and those plays, there's always the role of the comedian. So it's a really important role because the comedian is also the educator. That's what I was going to ask you. Like, would you say that they identify the comedian the same way as we do? I think so. I mean, I... I think the reason why comedians and educators get so much vitriol is because both of us have cracked the code to figure out how to affect people and how they think and how they feel moving forward, right? Because a doctor, you can go to your doctor and it's like, "Eh, I'm not really feeling you. And no, I'm not going to stop eating 17 pounds of chocolate a day. Like, you know, a lawyer (laughs) isn't really- Who are you to tell me that? Right. But if you think about it, a comedian is an educator and they help us organize the world the same way your teachers and your professors do. So like after say like 9-11 or if we're dealing with, you know, a crisis, educators are, our role is to help future minds organize and process how they think about, how things are. The difference between a fact and opinion, and then how they can take facts and better develop their own foundation for their opinions. That is my job, 
right? So you can have a real analytical basis and you can tell the difference between what you want to happen and what you actually think will happen, right? So you can actually develop skills to predict or hopefully predict what can move on in the future, especially as a political scientist. This is why I'm obsessed with comedians. I love hanging out with you all. And like, I'm so thankful for Marina ever since we met in 2015 for having me on the podcast so I can interact with comedians. But how you all organize reality. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, I don't have to make it funny. I make it funny because I usually teach at like 8.30 or 10 o'clock in the morning. So it has to be a little bit of jush, <laughs> right? Because it's like these kids are exhausted and they're going through a lot. Like, you know, yeah. mental health crises are just much more than, say, when we were in school. So they, they've got a lot going on and, you know, money is tight and their parents are stressed. And so, and this is before the global pandemic. But for you all, you all have to organize and process and synthesize. And then on top of that, tap into something on the inside of us coming from all different parts of the world, all different parts of the country, and then make it funny. Like, huh? Like, so it's like, oh, we're black outside. It's like, right, because a lot of people have really struggled for the past two and a half years, like, being inside. There are some people who have been really lonely. There are people who have been suicidal. There are people who have gained weight, lost weight, lost mm-hmm. loved ones. Like, there, folks have gone, th- especially black people. Lost full marriages. Like, full marriage. So some people lost Had parents. Kids. Some people lost siblings. Some people... Got a kid. Some people (laughs) lost a kid. Right. Right. So like these are just ways where you all to me are the most important entities in society because you help us process. And then Mm -hmm. because laughter is essential for the soul. It's like not only do you help us process. It's like, right. I mean, I'm sorry. I went back and looked at the videos that I made the first two weeks of the pandemic when I thought I was totally fine. I live alone and I was making spirit week for my sister who's a, you know, essential worker. She's a doctor. She was going in, you know, just horrible circumstances that she was working under, seeing people dying like on an hourly basis, just so much. Another cousin's also an essential worker. So I was making them these videos to try and cheer them up. You know, I'm home alone. I'm not working. Um, I'm looking at these videos and I'm like, girl, you were descending into madness. I will forward them to you after the podcast. I mean, I'm dressing up. I'm wearing fur coats and jewels at eight o'clock in the morning. I'm doing accents. It's just. I was doing cameos. Um, Cameo is like an app where people can Oh, yeah. I got my cousin a cameo with um, Ghostface Killer. Ah, (laughs) It was amazing. It was amazing. I know it was. I mean, but that I was in my mom's house for like three months. Like, and I had like, I had, by a certain point I had a cameo set up and you're just like in a room like, what's up, Angelique? Happy birthday, girl. Happy birthday to ya. Happy birthday. Don't let this quarantine get you down. Like, That's hilarious. My cameos suck. I'm like, oh, I forgot to do this two days ago. I'm sorry. This is for free. <laughs> my cameo. Ghost. Awful. I will say this. I'm trying to find it. Ghostface Killers. To, I got it from my cousin. She's finishing her PhD. Um, she's a second grade teacher, so she was really going through it. You know, she's trying to educate seven year olds on Zoom, on Zoom in Baltimore. So wow. it was a lot. Needless That's to say, lot. but I mean, he was like, you know, you got to be like the rock because the earth and like, you know, just let it be like water. And I mean, listen, I will say this. I learned a ton. <laughs> I was like, this man is dropping full gems up in this five minute little spiel. And he was Iron like, man, yo. he was like, you know, good luck on your dissertation. You influencing the youth of Baltimore. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you're amazing. Like yeah. this he actually is, is worth every single penny. Um, but so I say all this to say. Teachers are really important. We know that. 
right? We're not compensated. We get that. But we do it because we didn't come into this occupation to make money. We, we fundamentally believe in influencing the youth of America. This is why I get so much hate mail. But comedians, I think you all suffer a different kind of vitriol because it's like a lot of people don't see you all as educators, but I do. Like, people see comedians, it's like, oh, they're, they're people who just make me laugh. It's like, no, 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 you learn something. Some like, people this is resent why, that, though. They yes, resent they, that. they do, and especially when it comes in the form of a black woman. Correct. Let's keep it 100. But this is why, like, for instance, I wrote this article a few months ago about Marion Barry, and the former mayor of Washington, D.C., oh, yeah. um, who his first term was amazing, and he was in charge of the summer youth program, and Dave Chappelle had a job, and Jeffrey Wright had a job, and thousands upon thousands of black kids had jobs because of Marion Barry, who's a fantastic mayor. Now- I think we all know his latter terms. He had some substance abuse and alcohol issues. Chris Rock makes a joke many, many years later about smoking crack. Who can I be? I could be mayor. Everyone loves the joke. It's hilarious. And like everyone just thinks Marion Barry equals crackhead. And I'm just like, this is what makes me angry. I'm like, because Chris Rock, you are a comedian, a.k.a. an educator. So there's a whole generation of black people who think that, and white people and everybody else, who just think Marion Barry equals crackhead. It's like, no, he was a civil rights leader. He marched with King and, like, organized with King. What he did to help black people stay in D.C., help them, buy, like, buy homes, help them get jobs, summer youth programs, the environment, all while the federal government was taking away his power before he even did anything, just because he was the first sort of—he was the second black elected mayor. So it's like that but joke do- to me is, like, so dangerous because years later, as an educator, he educated people on, like— Absolutely the wrong thing with no context. But I think there is a certain nuance, though, that we have to acknowledge that comedians didn't sign up to be educators. They signed true. up to be funny. That's true. And that so, is like, true. that statement that he made is not false. It's just lacking the pop-up video actual, bubble. It's, it's, lacking it's lacking actual context. Bubble. But see, right. but I, I also think that, and this is just me, I do put a little bit more weight on black comedians. This is just my personal thing, and I shouldn't, because I do see you all as these arbiters of truth and people who not only make us laugh, but contextualize our complicated circumstance in this world. So for Chris Rock to be at that type of level, to tell that kind of joke about such a, I would argue, a brilliant and great man with very little, if no context... So for a whole generation of people who are just like, yeah, Mary Bear is a crackhead. And it's just like, but that's he just was not a true. crackhead, though. Towards the end, but that's not his whole life. <laughs> like, like he, <laughs> see, this, this is why I love this, cleaning. Because, <laughs> hey, Chrissy, guess what? He, he, but it's like, he but became, that was like, yes. He, but, but let me just like, tell you about a joke. One part like, of his identity. Like, there's no version of, like, but see, like, that's the thing. Like, the joke isn't a dissertation, right? So it's like you don't always get the opportunity and oftentimes it's, it muddles the joke when you give a whole a bunch context. of context, right? But because could, he, could he have given like, Amanda, like if you're telling this joke, could you have been like, Marion Barry, albeit a great man and no. help with the jobs program, he's a crackhead. You no. don't want to, because joke, I don't know how to write, like I don't write joke jokes, so I don't know. Mo- well, because the joke was more about the crack epidemic, right? And the, the joke was more about how crack had like, infiltrated everybody all these spaces yeah. and that you know re- like regardless though like because it's a perspective thing too like the nigga really was the mayor and was a crackhead <laughs> like that doesn't have to be a diss <laughs> both so you're saying listen both things are true at the same time They're i mean mutually exclusive <laughs> yeah i mean because listen terms three and, and four 
He most definitely was. But that's on drugs. But you know, term so one and two, I'm just like he even was Steven, even brilliant. Steven. So I'm like, but so people don't know about the brilliance. They but just know about the crack. The, but you have to know the messenger too, right? Like for what it's worth, I do feel like Chris has done more of the educating than of the just taking the low hanging fruit of things. Uh-huh. Like I feel like he. His stand up to me is more so like I'm just gonna plant this seed for you all to think. So I feel like for com- like educators aren't just planting the seed for you to think. They're gonna walk you through. They're gonna sherper you through the critical thinking of it all. For <laughs> comics, I think a lot of us are we're planting the seed that you didn't know, and mm-hmm. now we've planted that seed that made you be like, oh, I didn't even think of it that way. And now we're leaving you to go think of it that to think about it in a different way. We're not. We're on to the next joke. Like I know, like what what. But but in agreement with you, what bothered me about Chappelle's last special was right. was the fact that I felt like there were there was effort made in that way, but without the intellectualism attached to it. Mm-hmm. So None. that's the part when it when yeah. it's not a truth. At the end of the day, Marion Barry was absolutely in a hotel room with broads, like tooting up, and was also the man. <laughs> Okay, so I'm gonna drop so it, but it's like, but it was a setup by the government. They paid two million dollars for that woman, like. But you also with the setup shit, I'd be like, right. <laughs> but I've never been set up was, doing crack, right? I get. I'm like, you I didn't get. know niggas was set, <laughs> right. like. You and know. Amanda brings up a good point. She said, "Chris Rock really set you up to inform people to get the right information." He set me up. Yeah, you in a sense, uh, like what, you know. To provide the right story, like when you told me all the things that he had done, I didn't know any of that. It's true. So that's what makes you go do the research and look for it. Yeah. You know, also, a, a lot of comics aren't that good, you know. So, so a lot of comics don't have that ability to, to educate. Yeah. They don't. You know, I yeah. like to walk a fine line myself between, like I'm talking about police and safety at the same time, I'm talking about my fear on stage, my real truth. Like when I talk about being on the subway and then moving people off the homelessness off the subway or mental illness off the subway, I also joke about how I kind of want that because I don't want mental illness next to subway tracks. That whole fear of, I don't know if I look like a person to someone who's mentally ill on a subway platform. So I sort of nuance the joke with some of my real feelings and I tippy-toe right now. It's still a very new joke. And it may go in the wrong direction. I'll find out. The audience will tell me. <laughs> you know? And a lot of times I'll get someone in the audience go, oh. And I go, that's the sound you're going to make when they push you onto the tracks. You know? <laughs> so now I got the joke. Right? But, you know, I don't have the sort of like all the information. Like, yeah. you know, homelessness is not really. They don't call it homelessness. Anymore. You know, I could take time out with that. But I, I have chosen not to for now. It's all about discovery. But that's me. You know, me, I like to take the time to figure out a responsible joke, but that's me. Not every comic does that. Mm-hmm. And not every comic is, and I think we're entering a time. There you go. That you do have to figure it out. Yeah. You know, there's lazy comics right now, and there's goats right now being lazy with comedy. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I get, like, I had someone go up in front of me talking about COVID 
And how aren't you just tired of it and wearing the mask? And there's people in the audience who are still wearing a mask. And I was so angry of the, of the recklessness of this comic because of how many people have just died. And the fact that this person in the audience, you don't know what's going on with them and why they're wearing mm-hmm. a mask. You mm-hmm. know, I always say, hey, you know why I have a mask? Because I had cancer. So I have to wear a mask. You right. know, that deads all that, you know. Yeah, I- Right, right. You know, because they go, oh, you afraid? I had a guy go, you're afraid? I go, well, I had cancer. They go, oh. I go, ha Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I tell my students because, you know, I, I teach at Fordham. And then in the spring, I teach one class at, at the School of Public Affairs at Columbia, um, a graduate level class because they refuse to hire any black people full time. That's okay. another story. That's a different podcast. I was I, uh, was, I, I was in the African American Studies program at Columbia, so yeah, it's, I, I, know, I was girl. in Iris. I know. So there were black people there. I didn't yeah. really venture anywhere else. And, right, and SEPA, the black students clamor for this, but they don't have any black faculty. So I teach a, a course there. So Fordham and SEPA both went mask optional the week before spring break. Right? Make that make sense. And so I told my students in both classes, I was like, hey, guess what? The schools may be mask optional. In this classroom, we're not. Okay. I was like, because we're all looking around one another. I was like, and we have no idea if anyone is living with something where they are susceptible and mm-hmm. have, you know, weaker immune system or immunocompromised, or if they live in a household with someone who's immunocompromised. Because, you know, I have commuters. I was like, I don't know if someone's partner may or may not have some sort of, you know, they could be dealing with cancer. You could be living with your grandmother, your boyfriend, whatever. So I was like, let's just, let's use this as a teachable moment. Collective action. We're learning about collective action. (laughs) So let's use this as an opportunity for all of us to do something for the greater good. Because guess what? It's a piece of cloth. Like, settle down. It's not that deep. People are Now, here's the crazy thing. At, at SEPA, because it's the School of International Public Affairs, all the students have to go away during spring break for their various practicums. So, you know, they go to different countries to do their, you know, right. project or whatever before they graduate. So we come back after spring break. And I'm like, okay, so, no, I said before spring break, where's everyone going? 25 people in the class. We're going to 15 different countries. Of course, when we get back from spring break, eight people on Zoom. Why? Because you have active COVID. <laughs> Because it was mask optional when they came back and they were just rolling around campus with no mask on. Week after that, another new eight people, COVID. I was like, of course you guys have COVID. You're rolling around with no mask. And you were in Dubai and you were in Jamaica and you were in the DR and you were in Mexico and you were in Paris and you were in Madrid. So we're just all bringing these germs into the same classroom with no windows and no ventilation. So so you can see why, like, someone So we're wearing masks because... God forbid we have Marina in the classroom or at home right. who lives with someone who's in the class. We're not doing it. I was like, socially, it's irresponsible of me as a professor to let people be unmasked in this class. And, you know, for me as a comedian, like, I just felt like, okay, he did his thing, but I'm about to address it because I'm <laughs> after him, right? And I'll be funny with it. And I was, I, you know, I got a little angry, but then I was still funny. But I, I want to go to this Caudacity article by the Atlantic Star, since we're also talking about social media and being in the public eye. And, you know, Amy Schumer is a friend of mine. And I saw, Amanda, you, you've met Amy. I, I don't know. You know, listen, you know, I, I have a hard time talking about Amy because she's not here. Uh, but I will say this article... Is you know she did a joint interview with LeBron James, Maverick Carter, Paul Rivera, Fat Joe, and Don Lemon. Comedian Amy Schumer recently questioned if too much self confidence 
can hinder a woman's career in the entertainment industry. When discussing vulnerability in comedy, Schumer suggested that many women must downplay their confidence in order to be accepted by audiences. Lemon responded by saying that comedian Tiffany Haddish was breaking through those barriers and cited a moment at the 2022 Oscars red carpet during which she slammed a rude reporter after a backhanded compliment about her outfit. Schumer then countered by questioning if Haddish's confidence was working in her favor. The comments sparked controversy online and claims of Schumer being jealous of Haddish circulated, especially since the two are friends. Users also began comparing the comics and choosing sides. <sighs> now, <laughs> uh, and, and I watched the video on, and, and Amy's, you know, she says, I love Tiff too. You know, she's incredible. She had a huge- I need people to stop disclaimering things with I love such and such I can't stand it I hate when people do it on my page they'll be like I love you but and then say some egregious ass shit it's just as ridiculous as saying like no disrespect which absolutely (laughs) I'm about to disrespect you yes 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 and I just it's like I love when like these networks will be like we love Amanda I mean we don't want to do this show but we love Amanda and then it's like my agents are telling me I'm like stop telling me that we love Amanda part right. because right. it's not it's 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 not for the person it's for the person saying it um I'm, 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 I was listening to to what you were saying and I I was a bit confused um it seemed a it's I, I don't even know that was that what she was asked? Like, well, Don Lemon brought up well, Tiffany as be, in this way, in a complimentary way, and she so countered. he said. So this is yes. So she said, you know, off. So they were talking about. So something. the white woman whose self confidence had them do a special at the Apollo because Ooh. they felt like that was the place that they should be accessing. Right. The white woman who was in my DMs, like, why won't you just be friends with me? And I'm like, I don't know you. Um, why, why, why? The white woman who hit me in my DMs and said, hey, I just found out about your work. I know I'm trash for just finding out, but let's give each other notes on our specials. You can come to my taping and I can come to yours. That's overconfidence. OK, that's overconfidence. And then when I was non-responsive in a very polite way, but I just wasn't giving back the energy. It was, do you have a problem with me? Are you mad at me? That was exactly that. And, you know, and me being, and I've Mm -hmm. never mentioned it publicly, but but when she's going to talk sideways about my actual homegirl, you know, who ain't got negative shit to say about nobody. That's one thing about Miss Tiffany Haddish. Tiffany ain't got shade. Yeah, she's very, she always is uplifting everybody. (laughs) But the truth is, is that um, whenever black women advocate for ourselves, whenever we advocate for ourselves, it is identified as something as other by others. And then there are black women who have then taken in that bullshit and then start telling us the same thing and telling themselves the same thing. And we have to be very loud about countering that. She ain't had no place to say shit. What she should have said was, because <laughs> I know you can't say it because that's your friend, so I'm going to say it. What she should have said was... Um, Good for Tiffany. <laughs> that's what she should have said. And you know what? You know, that's who Tiffany was talking about. We, okay, so I'm on an email chain with a bunch of comics. And Tiffany has said, you know, there's comics out here who are downing other comics' careers. And 
they should really ask themselves why their career ain't where they want it to be and focus on that. And that's been my new clapback for everyone. Focus on your future. Focus on you is always where it should be. Let's be clear. Envy and jealousy have nothing to do with the other person. It has to do with what you feel you don't have. So if you're too busy looking over your shoulder at other people, it's like, well, obviously you're not getting your own damn work done. You're too busy looking at me. As a white woman, you should also just make a rule to not talk about black women um, who are living their lives. If if, If the only... if. The only reason that you should be as a white woman saying anything about a black woman is like, you know, I feel like the comments that she's the comments that this person has made um, are not. Nope. No, I can't even make it up. Just okay, don't say so anything. Don't I'm going to say something and I'm going to be very proud of myself because I think in your world, Marina and Amanda, it's called a callback. Ooh. <laughs> I think I'm about to pull a callback. Do it. Because this is the equivalent of I'm going to walk up to you and complain about these blankets in this black ass space. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> and hey, nobody asked you. No. Nobody actually invited you here. You were in this space because you, you've decided that you need to be mm-hmm. in this space. So you're inserting yourself. And now you're going to have a critique. So you are well, the equivalent also- right now of complaining about these blankets when nobody, nobody asked you your opinion on anything. Well, why was she on that panel? She likes to hang around those guys. And LeBron James was in her show Trainwreck. Yeah. So I'm assuming. So were you and you were fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you. As always. But, you know, they're friends. And she does like being in black spaces. I have noticed that about Amy. However, I think that and it is hard to talk about Amy because she is a friend and she's She's always been good to me. Well, I mean, just, I think, you, you know. You just gotta, you gotta be quiet. Know your when place. Com- yeah, you just and gotta. And pardon my French, you know, I, I don't normally curse on, on podcasts, but, you know, this is a classic instance of shutting the fuck up is That's free. It. It's free. Oh my God. It's free99.com. Like it's actually free and you actually don't need to be in every conversation. And so I think for mm. some people, and this is, you know, not mm. just the Amy Schumers of the world, but you have to ask yourself, why is it that you're so invested and interested in being these black spaces as this kind of quasi-problematic white person, right? Because let's be clear, I don't know how many apologies you can hear from white people who like step in it. Right, right. Before you're like... Habitually line-stepping and it's like, and all you do is throw out an apology and then it's, we move on to the next, but then it keeps happening. So then that to me, as an educator, says, well, you're not learning, so that also means that the people you're hanging around with aren't educating you on to how to stop doing that. So like you may hang out with LeBron, but I'm curious, are you having substantive conversations because you keep doing well, problematic stuff? Well, let's also point out though that there's also this thing that happens in black spaces when when a white person comes into our space, sometimes there's this like, "Oh, yay, white person, you're here." And they are, that's how white people end up saying, well, I was told I can say nigga. You know what I'm saying? That's Mm -hmm. how you get white girls who are like, well, you know, like the black guys like me. So like, I'm just like you. Um, I can say ghetto. Yeah, there needed to be a black woman in that. They they need to continually, if they have a white woman in their space and it's all black, you need to put a black woman in that space too. From here on out. You cannot, we see you. And that's but let's the thing. also, get, but then we're gonna have to have that hard, honest conversation where mm. a lot of people don't want to have a black woman in their space because is, a certain type of black woman is gonna call you I'm on your wrong. nonsense and your shit. Has there ever been? A, I mean, I feel like this dawned on me the other day because I'm a very, I'm a fan of a lot of Tina Fey's work, and I feel like I never see black women in 
her, her work. Listen, I am a huge oh, fan yes. of, of 30 Rock. I'm like the world's biggest fan of 30 Ditto. Rock. She produced that show. Um, Werewolf Bar Mitzvah. Spooky. Okay, scary. Listen, girl, I'm going, to send, I'm going to send you the picture of the poster that I'm staring at right now in my study that says Werewolf Bar Mitzvah. Spooky. Scary. Boys becoming, Boy becoming men. Men, men, men becoming, becoming wolves. wolves. <laughs> but you know, that's like Donald Glover, Tracy Morgan. I get it. But um, the other show that she had with the woman whose mother was the intern at the at the news station, ah, uh, yeah, it's morning news, morning uh, news, great. So uh, Portia, um, what's her face, Lionel Richie's daughter. That's the uh, only Nicole black woman, Ritchie. Nicole, well, Ritchie. and she was recast. The original, um, the original person in that role was a black woman comedian, um, okay. and who. Presents as a very clear black woman comedian. Uh-huh. And then she was recast with Nicole Richie, who is very ambiguously. Yes. Yeah. And she actually, Nicole Richie is not black. Like she was raised by a black man. Right. But when we yeah. but she was adopted. Technicality. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and let's, no disrespect, Nicole Richie, I thought, killed that role. Like I, I thought it was hilarious. But that's true. Nicole Richie is sort of, because she's Lionel Richie's daughter we put her in the black category but she technically is not so i don't know i mean i think you know going back i watched 30 rock like is mean like my, girls 30 rock yeah Mr. 30 rock is Mr. my Mayor. linus blanket show so it's like it is the show Kimmy that like Schmidt. yes Kim Sch- zero black women zero black women it and was so something, and i'm not even shading as much as it was just like no huh. but but i think also Why though when you there? go back and rewatch tina fey's work and I, I really love, when I say I love 30 Rock, like it's, it's, no, serious. I get like it. That's, I, it's that's very, my show. Enter it, the crevasse. Yeah. There are the, a lot of things that don't hold up, especially racially. Like mm. she's got a lot of blind spots, a yeah. lot of blind spots when it comes to black women in particular. So I think mm. that, you know, when we zoom out 30,000 feet and we ask ourselves, you know, in this rush to have more equity, especially in Hollywood and on TV and on stage, and it's like, right, when you look at the Tonys, black women aren't represented. Black queer men, yes. yes. White women, yes. But like the moment for black women doesn't seem to be. I mean, for be colored on... girls, ran for two weeks. Listen, they were just like. Nominations. Yeah. They, I mean, they were like, eh, just we're just going to shut it down six weeks early. They shut it down early. A lot of shows have been shut down, though, in fairness, right? It wasn't uh, marketed, though, like, no. at all. Like, they but, didn't do press. You, like, you know what it is also? It reminds us of when we were growing up, and it's like, let's put all the black TV shows competing against one another at the same exact time. And then yeah. when they don't miraculously make it, it's like, see, nobody wants to watch black TV shows. It's like, well, you put all of them at eight o'clock on the four different stations. Of course they're not going to work. So, I mean, with, with black theater, I just think, as Amanda said, if you put something on stage and you put zero money behind marketing it with all the things that are competing against it, of course it's not going to survive. Of course, like, how could it? And same with black TV shows, especially ones with black female leads. Listen, people keep asking me, like, Amanda, like, why aren't you, why aren't you, you know, doing your own talk show? And why aren't you doing all these things? And it's like, I mean, Hollywood and TV shows and all, you know, the idea of, like, coming up with black creative stuff is just not, it's not what people think it is. Um, 
And it's, it's really, really hard. I mean, I pitched my show, Smart, Funny, and Black, uh, as a Juneteenth special and was told by one network, well, we already have this other black woman on the network, so it doesn't make sense for us. Yeah. Who's and doing mean, absolutely nothing that I'm doing. Nothing. We are not nothing. the same people. Nothing at all. Nothing. Right, well, I mean, it's so funny because that's kind of similar in academia with publishing. It's like, well, we already have our black book. So, yeah. and it's like, okay, well, this black book is on like voting. Mine is on like Shirley Chisholm. It's like, <laughs> yeah, well, you know. <laughs> what do you want us to do? I mean, it's no. just, it's really, and so I, so, you know, this tour is me actually, I had spent the last, um, year really dedicating myself to like, I'm going to sell shows. I'm going to move into that space. I'm going to try and like really like get stuff off the ground. And it was so disenchanting and D what's the word I'm looking for? Um, demoralizing that I really just decided, you know, you need to go back to the spaces that you can control. Um, And that are organically built by people who fuck with you, right? Because the people who buy tickets to your shows are people who fuck with you. It's not the same like when we're doing showcases at venues. Like when you're going on the road, like people know, oh, that's Amanda. I'm going to come to her show. You may get some stragglers, but for the most part, that's what it is. And I was like, I need to rebuild myself back up. But I also had to really change my perspective because I think I wasn't mindfully doing this, but I think I had like made my focus about like, I need to get Hollywood to care. I need to get these executives to care. And I, I realized that that's completely counterintuitive to like my existence as an artist. And it's like, really? No, Amanda, you're for the people and you're about the people. And like you create independently because you are supported by the people. Like that's the way that you want to interact. That's crazy to me. I would think you're such an easy, um, no, I, I mean, I'm, know, I'm light skin, so there's no, like but it's also that's like one you hurdle. Have such a, you and have then they're all like, the oh, things. but she's like a Negro, Negro. Um, but you like, have all is, the. We didn't know we were getting this. Yeah, <laughs> you you have all the, you have the talent, you have the the social media following, you have the acting skill, you have the singing, you have the DJ skill, which I also want to hey. bring up. <laughs> Hey, got those tables. I'm DJing this weekend for the first time in a long time. So it's just, it's amazing to me that they can't. Well, I have a stigma attached to me that I'm difficult. And, you know, they're right. Um, Because a lot of what is considered not difficult is really just people pretending and swallowing whatever they're delivered because they want to be famous. You know, a friend of mine was on a show that. When he told me about the level of racism that took place on this show, it was it was 1965 level racism. Like Alabama level racism was going on this show. And you know, he stayed on the show because in in his mind it was like I can't let that get in the way of like the progress that I need to make in this business and that's a decision I wouldn't have made, right? Like to me, I would have been like, "Fuck this career! I got get out. Y'all better go in arbitration. I'm not staying here for this fuck shit." Um, but so many of us are put in that position, right? Yes, and so yes. when someone chooses not to be in that position, they're difficult. And writing with people in this industry, I, I said this on the show several times. The stories we tell on this show is only like probably a small percentage of what's really going on because Man. I can't really say everything right. that's going on. The devil we is can. in the details. <laughs> and um, But I'm learning and I'm seeing 
And it's so far, it's been a. I, I don't yet have black people in my in my sphere as I'm writing, and it's challenging. Uh, you know, sometimes I have to take a set a, a step back and go, "Am I being sensitive, or am I not listening?" Because I'm so. This is so about me that I'm emotional. But so never. Maybe, you're never yeah. being like I had a friend check me on that the other day because I was like, am I being type A about my business? Because I've just been being very I'm like doing a lot of new hiring and switching around of things. And it feels very chaotic. And I'm just like, Ooh. she was yes. like, well, baby, if you ain't type A about your life, who going to be right? <laughs> like I was have- going to ask you that. How do you because, you know, even for my podcast, I've hired I've, people leave, people come back like and. The way I talk, I was telling Christina this, the way I talk with my young assistants is I'm very careful. I'm very encouraging. But I often wondered how you do it because I'm like, Amanda seems like she has a really great team around her and she must have a very specific way in, wh- in which you delegate. Um. Yeah, but you know what? That's actually shifted as like things have shifted, right? So okay. right now I am having to go full steam ahead with, the independence of it all. I've been on a TV show for five, for six years, right? So that kind of created a certain level of security, right? Financial security. And also like entertainment security, right? Because it's still like, oh, she's on that show. Like you can always refer back like, oh, she's on that show. She's on the show. Well, I'm not on that show right now. So I have to now make the next steps to identify what is the next thing, right? What is the next space? I mean, I have Smart Funny and Black Radio, which is on Sirius, um, on LOL Network, and I have my podcast. and I, Like, I have things, but I don't have, like, the landing pad, right? Mm-hmm. And in identifying that, I'm having to make a shift with my staff and shift yes. of consciousness. And it's kind of like, what's scary is when you don't know the answer, so you can't delegate the answer. That's and right. so it just feels very wary. And that that is, like, incredibly unsettling for me. So... I only in the last like two weeks have started to get a little bit, a lot more clarity around the way that I need to shift, but it's difficult. I mean, I had had, I've had to learn how to foster a group around me that very clearly understands that we going to kiki, but we also going to work and that I need the kiki. Some people are like, you can't have that with your people. You can't have that exchange. You can't have a personal exchange or else it's going to be breed familiarity. So that means that I have to hire consciously people who can walk that line and respect it, right? And understand that when I'm correcting an issue, I'm not challenging your character. Right. Yeah. Okay, good. Do you say say that right off the bat? Yeah, I've had to be... That's like a part of our like... Can you do this? Is this a thing that you're able to do? You got, like, ask yourself, can you do this? Because also, like, to Christina's point, like, especially with the younger people, like, they're dealing with so much more that is, like, filtering into your work now that you have to, like, have a certain sensibility that I think in a lot of corporations, et cetera, like, you just don't have to. But I'm working with these people every day in a very intimate way um, just by nature of, like, we're on group chats, you know? We're on Slack. Like, I remember I had an assistant who... I told her, I was like, so you didn't get the receipt? And she was like, no. And I was like, okay, well, next time you need to make sure you always get the receipt. And then she just burst into tears. And I was like, well, oh, what's happening? Oh, and all that handholding yeah, back Yeah, yeah, that happens. I, and, right, and I had yeah. to like sit her down. And I was like, okay, so this, this what's happening though is not going to be happening all the time, but this is new. So we're going to have a come to Jesus right now. Um, 
this is not about a receipt, so what's it actually about? And then you find out, well, her mom and the boyfriend and the therapist and I used to take this and then I was... I had suicidal ideation, you know what I mean? And you get the full picture and you're like, okay, so now I know who I'm dealing with. Um, But that also let me know better about like, when is this job going to be too much for you, right? Because, and then you're able to have a conversation. Like, so this is where we're going. Can you, do you feel like this is practical, Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but That's it's a great. dance. But it's a dance. All of this is a dance. There's no blueprint, and particularly for the work we're in, it's not nine to five. It's not, yeah, it's not nine to five. So it gets tricky. <laughs> it, 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 it even to figure out how to pay and and you know Oof. what eighty what is it eighty p the payroll and all of that stuff. It's like, oh, do I do a payroll? Do I- <laughs> Listen, it's a real, like, okay, so you got to tell people, like, this is the crap, but you're going to get taxes out. You know, is that a problem? You know, okay, well, then you need to, it's like, but I, I just did an episode on my podcast, Small Doses, called Being an Independent Artist. And what I've had to really, really learn is that as creative as I am as an artist, I've had to take that over to the business side and work on applying my creativity to the business side of things. And that also means informing myself about the business side of things in a way that I've never wanted to do. Um, mm-hmm. But ultimately, if I'm going to take on that role of being independent, then that's what it is. That's ex- like infin- inherently, that's what it is. I am yes. my business. I was so about I to say, need you are the business. business. Right. You are the yeah. business, so you got to handle the business. And we don't want to do that a lot of times because the business is boring. It's yeah. also just annoying, you know? And it's also annoying because it's in a grid. And we work outside the grid, and then you got to like come to the grid of things. Like I got to make spreadsheets. I you know, know, I know. But I you can't. know what? I I used to because I do a lot of freelance stuff. I hated doing invoices. Oh, despise. I hated that. And and the thing is, I, I owe also, an invoice to Sirius right now. Thank you for reminding me. I and I and I I have you know research assistants, but they're not my assistants. They are for research. So like, and that's a very clear line. So like, I still do a lot of my own admin stuff, but also. I, I like I'm analog. So until I decide to get my ass and make everything digital, like I actually have to control my own oh. schedule because this is my book You're and I've got like planner. 15 years of like this madness where it's just like, hi, this is oh, my life. I know, wow. I know, I know. I got it. I have to change, but like I put things on <laughs> online one time and it messed it up. So I was like, it's not meant to be. But someone told me, this is Marina for your listeners because I know you have listeners all around the world, but. I hate doing invoices, or I used to, until a friend of mine who is her own, she's an entrepreneur, has her own business, and she was like, Chrissy, this is work that you have already done, and people owe you your money. This is your money. So, like, why are you dragging your feet on your money? You have actually yeah. done this this service. So, like, she was like, and then you might need to build it in. Like, if this takes you a minute, she was like, you might need to build that into your rate. <laughs> Of like you sitting down and doing an invoice. And so I finally got organized with like, I have a template that I like. Yeah. You know, I sat there and like made that template with everything I need. But it is interesting to sort of like, why am I dragging my feet on paying myself? Because it's just a thing. It's the same way that you drag your feet. Like I drag my feet on going to the bathroom. It's like, why? (laughs) Like this is is necessary. But as I'll be like, I I need to pee, but I'm going to sit here though. I'm going to sit here though. I'm going to sit here though. Okay, so we're going to go to this article and then we're going to get out. 
This is the last article. I didn't get to... You guys are so much more interesting than the articles I put up, and you've covered everything that I have, so it's okay that we didn't get to, like, nine of them. I put too many in anyway. After Walmart faced the backlash for its Juneteenth ice cream, fans urged people to buy Creamalicious. I think this is important to mention because you should check out Creamalicious, a black-owned brand. Mm -hmm. Its CEO says they focus on their products, not politics. Written by Aruba Jamal, an insider, Walmart put out an ice cream commemorating Juneteenth last month, but quickly dropped the product and apologized after they received backlash for capitalizing on the holiday. Many users suggest that Walmart stock the black-owned company Creamalicious's ice cream instead, as the company had a similar cheesecake and red velvet flavor. Now, she didn't feel as though Walmart stole anything from her on her brand and even stated that the company was very supportive and that the overall effect of the incident has been good for her business. Creamalicious's eight unique flavors of ice cream are carried by multiple other stores and Rogers also has a plans to open up restaurant with retired NBA player Penny Hardaway, of which she will also serve as executive chef. Now, my question is, what do you think about her response to Walmart? Because I do remember, Amanda, you saying specifically, and I love this that you said this. I really went in on your uh, page. You said it is our responsibility and being loud about doing the right thing. Do you think that her response, I mean, for her, it was probably like a very business safe response, but it seems like it also could have been an opportunity to still continue to hold Walmart's feet to the fire. I was on a panel the other day and someone asked me about like, what do I think that black creatives can do to make, to produce more authentic uh, product, like projects, authentically black projects. And I have the same answer for this as I had to that. Everybody ain't cut the same. Everybody just ain't cut the same, you know, like, and some of it is politically, but some of it is also just like personality, right? Like yes. some people really are not outspoken. Um, and some people are also really just very straight, straight and narrow. And, and then some people are really just at the end of the day, like, yeah, I'm just worried about my shit. Like, I'm not really trying to consider like the whole, when it comes to this person, I don't know enough about like, just like her history of how she operates to to speak to that. But I will say that I wish there were more of a code amongst Black folks where we could find a way to do that in our own unique ways every time, right? So maybe your version of doing that isn't being my, isn't my version, which is, well, you know, Walmart. <laughs> yes. Sorry. Maybe, you know, or, or somebody else's version um, could be, you know, like for all we know, she had a back a back channel conversation. Um, I mean, I just think that I've had to become a lot more realistic with myself about the fact that we talk all the time about the black community not being a monolith, but when it comes to wanting like people to show up the same way, show up, we we kind of become monolithic about that expectation. That's true. And also like white supremacy is like super effective. So the brainwash is is hot, baby. You know, yeah. the, the Kool-Aid, we love Kool-Aid. And <laughs> <laughs> the drinking of it is, is profuse. I am not in any way suggesting that this woman is doing that, but I just feel like her response to me seemed very just um, business. But business, that's what yeah. she's in with Walmart. She's in business. I think the uniqueness about Black folks, though, is that no matter what, even when we're in business, as Du Bois said, everything we do is political. So, which feels personal. 
Um, so we don't have, and I think Christina said something to this earlier, like we don't have the luxury of being like, well, this is just business. Like, like you said about being a, ooh, full circle. Like you said about being a black, call back, being a black comic. Like for me personally, as a black comic, I don't feel like I have the luxury to just be silly. Um, That's right. I feel an inherent responsibility to utilize my comedy, as you said, Christina, in a space of edutainment. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that responsibility isn't just because of me being a black person, but it's also because of how much I know. And there's just the more you know, the more right. you need, you know, you know better, you do better. I think for me, you know, reading this story, it just, <laughs> I don't know when I'm going to learn, but this is, you know, this is just the cycle I'm on. But like, black capitalism is still capitalism. Absolutely. And I always want to sort of try and think of it as something else, but it is, you know. We won't get into well, it on can this we podcast. say this though? Black capitalism, specifically in the context of white capitalism, like are we considering like you but know Durham we don't exist? Tulsa, we don't exist outside currently of outside of white capitalism. Like right. our political structure is tied to the white political structure. Our our capitalism is tied to their capitalism, like intrinsically. So you know, and I won't get on my rant about Jay Z and how terrible he is, um, but I just think that what pains me is the commodification of blackness. And so when you have these major corporations, so like we were demanding justice two summers ago, right? We were in the streets crying, pleading Mm -hmm. for people to see us as human beings. Mm -hmm. And you know what they did? They were like, you know what? We don't feel like doing that. So here's a federal holiday where a whole bunch of white people will be off of work and they can go to restaurants and have black servers. Okay. It's like, what do like, how is this equity? We didn't ask for this. Most black people didn't even know what Juneteenth was. Like, let's keep it 100. Okay. And you know Most why? white people didn't celebrate Juneteenth. Well, because of our exactly. racist, terrible education system. But like, <laughs> yes. also, we weren't asking for Juneteenth. Nope. We were asking for something kind of totally different. This is a nice reflection of the past, but we were also demanding something specifically in the present and the future. And it's just like, this is the cheap shortcut. So it's like, let me give you some red, green, and black ice cream and not address the fact that, like, we can kill your children in broad daylight, whether it's the state or a domestic terrorist, and whatever, you got a federal holiday where you won't make money. Okay, thanks, I guess. Question mark? I love having both of you ladies here today. This was an amazing episode, wrapped up beautifully. (laughs) (laughs) I did it. I did it. So, Christina, tell our listeners where they can find you. So, I'm chipping away on these books. You know how that goes. Um, I'm about to leave the country for a while. But I do have a podcast launching on the Grio Podcast Network called Blackest Questions, where I'll have fun people on, hopefully you, Marina, and you, Amanda, where we... Ask black people five questions about our history, and it is not to stump or embarrass you. It's really to have fun and just educate black folks and and our listeners about our history, shared identified history, and diasporic history. Um, So that's fun. I used to always have parties where we had to fill out quizzes and... You know, I'm an educator, so, you know, right. <laughs> we'll, we'll educate and entertain simultaneously. Um, and with friends like us, I can just feel so safe and sound where I can sing, even though I know I can. <laughs> but we can talk about everything from Werewolf Bar Mitzvah to Black Capitalism. Yes. And, and keep it real. Yeah. Because as much as I love Mary Berry, <laughs> to quote Amanda Seals, but wasn't he a crackhead, Chrissy? <laughs> So I can reflect on holding two things at the same time. That's right. And I so appreciate that. And I just love being with black women. I love you. Especially smart black women. Amanda? Um, You can follow me on all the 
all the places, uh, Twitter, etc. Uh, we I just turned my YouTube back into a thing, so you can start looking for content on there. That'll be Amanda Seals TV. I started a subscriber service for like the fans who are like. We just love everything you do. Um, but also, like, I realized that I'm making content all the time for free. And the people really appreciate it, but it's my job. Um, and I would like to be compensated. And there is a fair exchange, right? Like, it's not like I'm asking for something and giving nothing. And so it's a $5 subscriber fee to the Amandaverse.com. It's a universe of Amanda. Uh, so you're getting behind the scenes. You're getting extra content. You're getting... Um, on the road stuff, you're getting stuff about like my fashions, my cats, my man. You're getting the whole the whole shebang. You're also getting a lot of self care stuff, and it really is uh, been a dope space to see people go there. And um, it's also going to be a dope space to see you all go to my shows and the Black Outside Again tour. So you can go to mandaseals.com. I'm going all over these United States. Uh, you'll see me in Minneapolis, Indianapolis, Detroit, Seattle. The the actual the shows that the first shows are Rally, North Carolina, July 15th, 16th, and 17th, and I will be doing a residency at the Kennedy Center. Uh, July 22nd and 23rd, where I'm doing three different types of shows. So I'm doing Smart, Funny, and Black Live. I'm doing stand-up, and I'm also doing my podcast, Small Doses Live. Really excited about that. Kennedy Center and the DMV have always shown me an immense amount of love. And we're back in L.A. Uh, with Smart, Funny, and Black on the 19th. And actually, we're at the King's Theater in Brooklyn. Uh, I'm looking for- at it now. <laughs> October 29th. October yes. 29th. I'm getting my tickets right now. And I want that show to be a show where everyone dresses up since it's Halloween. So I would love for that show to be a show where everyone dresses up as their favorite black character. Um, oh, nice. So I just, you know... I, Wait, favorite black like character from what? Of all time? Anything, or just- anything. Your favorite black character. Because I really believe that black pop culture exists for us in a way that it doesn't for white mainstream. Black pop culture for us is just as real as like real culture because we, through be, through creating characters, we've created representation for our story in ways that we have not been able to see ourselves. So like Claire Huxtable is very real. She's very... Re- the educator in you is smiling and that makes me smile. <laughs> well, you said they're an all-things Cosby party. <laughs> like, so. the, like, well, the, the, the teacher, the consummate teacher's pet in me is like, she likes what I'm saying! <laughs> well, I, listen, I'm, look, I'm in my study and I have a closet, so I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm totally coming as <laughs> Helen Willis because I have a long dress and it's there basically like the black Mrs. Roper. I'm already in. Okay, Marina, are you going to be my date December or October 29th? Um, if you, I'm available, yeah, if I have to make sure... Okay, and with yeah, friends, sure like, with friends like us, um, with friends like us, we're allowed to grow uh, from where we were to where we want to go, and uh, we give each other grace. Like I always, you know, we started this with Marina saying, whenever people say some shit about me, you tell them that story, and I, I always tell people, you know, when I first met Marina, Marina was giving me hell, and I was like, God damn, she's giving me hell. And then I listened to a friend like us podcast, and I was like. Oh, we're the same. We're the same person. That's what's happening here. This is a clash of the titans. And then I emailed her and she could have been like, bitch, please. And I emailed her and was like, hey, I just realized that actually we're the same. And like, that's why there was friction. So if you want to be friends, I want to be friends. And you hit me back and you're like, love it. Let's do it. And with friends like us, we give space for that because we believe that actually we're stronger together. That's right. Oh, I love you. I love you, ladies. Love you guys. Marina Franklin here. Just go to my website, marinafranklin.com. And with friends like us, 
you can have black women who speak loud about their truth. Check, Check us out! out! Purifies my mind and lets my spirit soar.